Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And one of the biggest buzzwords in the crypto space, everyone says their project is decentralized or we need something that's decentralized or we are decentralized. But what does decentralization really mean? Well, Mr. Alan Henna, founder of Staking Nodes and founder of Dark Network, reached out to us because he wanted to do a 101 on decentralization and show us all about the different facets of what it means to be decentralized. And decentralization can come in many different aspects. Validation nodes, team composition, community, governance, and so much more. And I'm excited to go through all these different aspects with Mr. Alan Henna. But before we go into that conversation, please go to wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe and leave us a rating and a comment. It helps us stay visible. Go to iTunes and do the same. Leave us a comment, a rating, and make sure you're subscribed. Also, if you like our podcast, please share with your friends, your family, or anybody else you think will be interested in these topics. And like always, I want to say thank you to the patrons for supporting us. I want to say thank you to the community. I want to say thank you to the editors. And I want to say thank you to everybody else that contributes to Crypto 101. And like always, this is not legal advice, financial advice, training advice, or personal advice. Now, without further ado, here is Mr. Alan Henna with Decentralization 101. Alan Henna, Crypto Evangelist. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Hello. Thank you for having me. Man, you sent me this amazing diagram about decentralization, the decentralized framework version 0.3. And you know what? That's one thing we never had on the show is talking about decentralization. And dude, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think it'd be great if you're listening out there, just start asking questions when people say the word and, you know, let's have a conversation about it. And I think the diagram is once you get a chance to take a look at it, it's just your sort of first shot. That's why it's like 0.3 to really understand what this is about so we can have a real conversation about it. Before we start going into decentralization, let's talk about you a little bit. Can you please briefly introduce yourself, sir? Yeah, so I live in Pittsburgh currently. I think about a year ago, probably last October, I mean, I've always known about crypto and I don't know what clicked. I think I was just looking for something new and I was just like, Oh my goodness. This is like September uh, of 17. And I was like, I'm doing this full time. Like I just <laughs> was like, by the summer, I'm doing it full time. So I just was like, that's what I'm going to do by the summer of next year. And that's what I did. So yeah, I'm just really focused on cryptocurrencies and just trying to better understand the space, identify the opportunities for improvement in the space, gaps and things like that. Um, I've sort of initially focused on masternodes and staking and things like that, but I'm definitely going to be broadening that uh, exposure to other areas within cryptocurrencies and digital assets here pretty soon. I was born in Kiev, Ukraine, lived there for three years. My mother is Ukrainian. My father is Liberian. So we lived in West Africa for three years and came here in 86. Lived in Dayton, Ohio for I don't know how long, but I've been in Pittsburgh for the last two and a half years. So it was kind of like Kiev, Monrovia, Dayton, Pittsburgh, four hops. And oh, that's right my on. life. Right on, much. man. Right on, right on. Yeah. And I don't know if you want to put this out there, but you said that your dream is to get to Hawaii and get yeah, your home base. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like a year ago, we went to Kauai and then in like July, we went to the Big Island. And we loved Kauai. And we're like, well, let's see what the big island's about. We want nothing to do with Maui. We want nothing to do with those tourist <laughs> traps. Not that all of, you know what I mean, though. So we visit the big island. We just like, we love both of them. Both of them have very, you know, 
interesting things to offer. And we're just sort of, you know, uh, thinking about where do we want to move? Where do we want to go? And Mm -hmm. how that life looks with five dogs and how do we get over there? So I don't know. It's definitely a goal in 19. If anybody out there has any connections on how I can make that happen easier, <laughs> please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Right on, man. As, as we talked online, I was living in Big Island for about seven years. And it's just so amazing. If anybody's ever been to Hawaii, been to the different islands, how different they are. You think Hawaii is just Hawaii, but they're just all just no. super unique. No, no, no. Especially the big island. It's very, very interesting. Right on, man. <laughs> well, we're here to talk about decentralization. And one yeah. point that you made when we were talking offline is that people always say decentralized. This is decentralized. We want decentralization. We want, but we never really defined what that means in the many yeah. different aspects you can have decentralization. First, before we go into that, can we define what is decentralized? I think, first of all, you have to acknowledge that decentralized is something that's a spectrum. It's not like a one or a zero. It's not like yes or no. Everything is treated within a spectrum. And not only is there a spectrum horizontally, there is a spectrum sort of vertically in that there are different layers. So we've referred to this diagram. There you have different layers or different sections, however you want to talk about it. And every one of those you can sort of cut into and start having a discussion around what's the spectrum. And I think a lot of times when people online say something is decentralized, they're just talking about the nodes, right? They're saying, well, there's a lot of different nodes that are running, for instance, Bitcoin, so it's decentralized. But like you see on the diagram, there are a lot of different aspects to a network and what decentralized means. So to me, What decentralized means is that you have a basically a diversification as into a specific area. So you have a diversification for network operations. You have a diversification for team, community and governance. Right. And like everyone knows, when you have diversification, you typically get better benefits. You get broader exchange of ideas. You get more resiliency because it's spread out. The risk is spread out. So it really depends on what section you're talking about. Now, the other thing I want to definitely make a point of is that decentralization is not an automatic good, just like centralization is not an automatic bad. And I think everything is really relative into the context of time, right? So one, time is always moving. Thus, Because time moves, things change. So as projects mature, Sometimes centralization is good. Sometimes decentralization is better. So I, here I go. I said good. Sometimes it's better in certain scenarios and sometimes it's not necessarily a good thing. An example is you look at Vitalik mm-hmm. from a community and leadership and team perspective, right? He is a centralized voice. No one ever looks at Vitalik and you're like, oh, that's Ethereum centralized. Well, to me, it kind of is in that aspect of team composition and leadership because he is like the leading voice for Ethereum. You know what I'm saying? He can completely almost steer the entire community. Same thing with Justin Soon with Tron, right? Mm-hmm. You, have a, you have a centralized sort of figure. And at certain points, that makes sense. Early on, when a project is just starting out, If you really don't have a focal message that you're out there sort of driving towards and you don't have someone to sort of, you know, raise that banner and just sort of lead that flag forward, it's going to be very hard to get traction and and establish your community over time. But if it's if we're in 10 years and Vitalik is still 
sort of this central voice for Ethereum, then that's probably going to be not necessarily a good thing, right? It could probably hurt it because he's going to have way too much influence over the direction of the project. So we keep talking about this diagram. And if you are listening to the show, please click on the link in the show notes to pull up the diagram so you can follow along with us. But before we go into looking at this diagram in its sections, as he said earlier, network operations, team composition, community, and governance, and we're going to talk about the different forms of decentralization within those categories and the subsets within those categories, we have to define a couple terms. When we are talking about, actually the terms are coin and token. Can we just define those really quick, sir? On Twitter and just in general, I think a lot of people use these interchangeably. And I think the one that's a mistake, just like people use crypto and blockchain interchangeably, two different things again. Um, with coin and token, to me, a coin is a project that has its own blockchain or consensus protocol or whatever. sort. So I don't want to even limit it to just blockchain because you could have a DAG or something like that. Another sort of form of validating transactions on your own sort of model, whatever it is. So let's just say for generic cases, you have your own chain. Whereas a token is something that basically spawns off of something that has its own chain. So Ethereum has its own chain and then it spawns off a bunch of tokens, but they're still essentially on Ethereum. Same thing for any like a like a EOS token or something um, that spawns off of that. Now, where you get some gray area, someone's going to be like, well, what about side chains? Well, I think that's sort of where we do get some gray area, and I'm definitely willing to have that discussion. But generally speaking, those are the two ways to delineate those. Right on, man. Thank you very much for that definition. So now let's just jump into our first category, which is network operations. Within network operations, we have validation pools, validation nodes, infrastructure providers, hardware manufacturers, and validation design. Let's just touch on some of those. Again, if you do not have the diagram pulled up, or if you want to look at this diagram, go to the show notes, click the link, and you will see because there's going to be a lot of different content coming out of this show. Yeah. And you have to visually see this. I wish this was a, a YouTube <laughs> video, but I'm a podcaster. Sorry, guys. Let's look at <laughs> validation pools first, sir. Let me preface this by saying, you know, you'll see like 0.3 on there. I am fully here to admit that this could be changed. This could be modified. And this to start a conversation with people in the cryptocurrency space and to get people thinking about this subject matter so we can have the real conversations we need to mature the space. So network operations as a whole, what you're really looking for is probably 90 percent of the time when people say something is centralized, they're thinking about. Who's who's securing the network? Who's running the network? And they're thinking about the nodes. So they'll be like, oh, Bitcoin has like, I think last it was like just under 10,000 nodes. I think maybe earlier in the year it was like 12,000 nodes. So it's decentralized because you have all these different entities that are participating in the network and they're securing the network. So to me, those are essentially validation nodes. If you're talking about proof of work, where you have mining equipment, just to sort of set the stage. Or, um, proof of work is where you have mining equipment, just to sort of set the stage. But just like you could have with proof of stake, um, where you have like minters and, and staking activities is instead of running uh, a mining rig, you essentially have coins in a wallet. And the coins in that wallet basically give you the right to validate transactions on that network. So what I did is lump those all together. And the point is that from a network operation perspective, that you need to ask the question when someone says that, are you talking about the pools or are you talking about the nodes? So an example with Bitcoin is people say Bitcoin's very decentralized, but ultimately, I think last I checked, five of the top mining pools are like 71% of the hash power. Now, 
true enough, the counter argument that someone would say is, oh, well, the people who are in that mining pool can always pull out. But at the same time, what if they don't? And there was even an example where with the whole Bitcoin Cash ABC SV split, where I think somewhere in a contract, I can't remember one of the mining pools said like, we have the right to essentially hold your hash power or something for like 24 hours or one hour. I mean, so that right there just tells you like you're not really fully in control. You could still have that centralized mechanism. And I think I even saw something where they were saying that over 50 percent of Bitcoin SV's hash power was off of one mining pool. Right. So that is a centralized aspect. Right. So there's sites where you can look at hash power distribution. Five mining pools control 71 percent. Now, you can tell me that that's centralized or decentralized, but then the same people will turn around and say that EOS with its 21 block producers are centralized. So let's see, 21 block producers are centralized, but five mining pools are not. They're decentralized, right? (laughs) So it's just one of those things like, let's talk about it, right? Right. If you're going to measure like this, how are you measuring like this over here? Or like Tron, I think has 27 super representatives, which Mm. for their consensus protocol, basically, that's how they decide who gets to write the block or validate transactions and things like that. Once again, 27, 21, 5. Let's have a conversation about it. So these are things that people should think about. And then as far as infrastructure, this is more within what like proof of stake and masternodes or even delegated proof of stake. You need to run some sort of server right? Like a VPS. So VPS is a virtual private server, which is essentially like, think of it like in the cloud. So you ran a machine, you put your collateral over there, it's running some sort of software on that network and you get to validate transactions on that network. Well, guess what? If you look at like Digital Ocean and Vulture, which is probably the top two, at least within crypto, and some people use AWS. So let's look at Azure, AWS, Digital Ocean and Vulture. My guess, I have a strong confidence that they're minimum like 60, 70% for that operation. So that's another level of some form of centralization. We look at Bitmain from a hardware manufacturer perspective. They own like 75% of the ASIC mining market, Mm -hmm. right? That's very centralized. And they primarily focus on Bitcoin and all the Bitcoin variants. And I'm sure maybe they do Litecoin and I don't know their whole product stack. But my point is, you see that there's a point of centralization. And the thing is, I think what we need to get to is how do you measure decentralization and what's the number so it's not that five is not enough and that 21 is not enough and at 27 is it's like when you (laughs) say this what is enough and that's the conversation but i just want your listeners to start really peeling that onion when people say these words and be like what do you mean so network operations is all about the actual running of the network, securing of the network from a technological perspective. So now that we talked on network operations, I want your personal opinion on some of the things that you said. We talked about different validation pools and how many nodes Bitcoin is running, but then, you know, uh, how many pools are running those nodes. And then we're talking about Bitmain producing 75% of all the ASIC miners. What's your opinion on all of that? Is this because there is no good, there is no bad. You said it all depends on what stage we are in this process in time. What stage are we when it comes to network operations in the crypto space? Well, I think as a whole, crypto is still very early in the grand scheme of things. People are like, oh, crypto's 10 years old. Well, Bitcoin's 10 years old, so crypto's 10 years old. And I look at it as it's all time relevant, right? So we're still so early in the grand scheme of things. I think these things can be forgiven. Now, what I look for is the message from that community as far as how they're trying to drive 
towards decentralization. So for instance, with Ripple, listen, I don't own any Ripple. I have my thoughts on Ripple and I'm not saying anything good or bad about them, but I've seen messages from them like, hey, we want to get more decentralized. Justin Soon was on a podcast the other day and he was talking about, yeah, we only have this many validators or super representatives. We want more people to run validators on our network. We Mm -hmm. want to decentralize. We come join our community. So to me, if you're giving the message and you're providing avenues for people to join the network, if you want to look at network operations perspective, then yeah, that's fine. To me, your message at this point should be pivoting to, all right, we recognize that we're sort of centralized right now, but we need that for the good of the network. We're one or two years old, right? I think EOS is maybe like not even two years old, right? So it's like, for the first couple years, we need to have this sort of centralization or this sort of concentration. We want to get some strength in the network. We want to build some sort of network effect with the community, brand identity. And then we're going to establish a drive to sort of get more nodes here or grow our community in this direction or have some sort of outreach to this location. Like, So I'm staring out a network operation. So I think it's all time relative, right? Right. So, so I guess guess to summarize what you said is that when you're starting a project, centralization is inevitable. But if you want to have a crypto focused blockchain inspired kind of like ideology that's innate to our cryptocurrency blockchain digital asset space, you should be working toward the most decentralized system as possible. Yes, for sure. So because you prevent a lot of different attack vectors, mm-hmm. whether that's from a from like a legal and regulatory perspective, whether that's from a technological perspective, whether that's from an ideation perspective. Right. So there's all these different levels of looking at the benefits of decentralization. Right. In even from a intermediation perspective. Right. So from a governance perspective, you want more. So governance usually comes with things like master nodes. You can vote and things like that. Well, we want to get more diversification of ideas because then you have some intermediary that's kind of being a gatekeeper, right? And then they're sort of controlling everything that happens on the network one way or another. They have too much influence. So you have these coins or Mm -hmm. these companies or these tokens that have their network operations. And they also have their teams. Teams is the next category. And within that category, we have developer count, role distribution, and project member count. Can you please go into those? So this is just so people could start asking the question. I I think most people know about Bitcoin and they know about like Litecoin and Dash and Monero and all those and like in the top 10 and they do have a lot of different team members on there. But then, I mean, there are like thousands of other coins and a lot of these projects will start with just one developer or two developers. And because one of the things I've learned, I'm very technical, so I'm very comfortable asking developers certain questions about things. But one of the things I've noticed, the majority of people in crypto are not. They're mostly like your retail investors, and that's not a bad thing, that's actually a great thing. But they don't know how to call BS, basically. So when you have projects that are very early on, remember, we're talking about time, no one can really call or ask the right questions from developers. Sometimes you need your ideas challenged. So when you only have one or two developers that are working in sort of like, we're just going to do this. Everyone's like, yeah, the devs know everything. Every Like the devs are like gods to people because you don't know how to question them. But if you have a diversification in the number of developers, it's that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to agree. So you do want, so if you have a team, even if it's just one team and it's five developers, that's better than just like one developer doing all the work versus five or six developers. Now, 
you, you mentioned companies earlier, and I think I said earlier, like crypto is business money and technology from a business perspective, role distribution, right? You have developers and that's usually how it starts. But then what else do you have on that team? Because if developers are the main ones driving the project, then I'm going to tell you right now, that's very centralized and it's not good for the direction at any given moment of a team, whether that's even early or a definitely late stage. Mm -hmm. An example I always use is if you look at startups. So I write a lot of stuff. I'll have an idea and I'll code up an app or something like that. Right. Well, a lot of startups that are driven by technologists, developers, like just engineers. What's the first thing they do once they get to a certain level? They start getting business people in there. They get marketing people in there because they're like, all right, like we don't really know what we're doing with this. We don't know how to reach out to people. In fact, we don't even want to deal with these people. So you have to look at cryptocurrencies like that. Do they have a marketing arm? Do they have someone for PR and communications? The new role that's very popular in crypto is a community manager. Mm -hmm. Do they have a community manager? Do they have multiple community managers? Because guess what? Crypto is 24 hours a day all across the world. So it'd be great if they had someone that was multilingual to some extent, right? Maybe some Chinese, maybe some Japanese, maybe some French, English, obviously. So like I said, you need a community manager, you need marketing, you need communications, and more importantly, you even need support, right? So you need these roles because if that's all centralized into like one or two people, one, it's just not feasible from a practicality perspective. And then the other thing is you're not going to get that diversification of ideation. You're going to have a lot of sort of gatekeepers early on. And also, I think the beauty is this probably shouldn't always last that long Mm -hmm. because at a certain point, like Bitcoin right now, it's sort of controlled by like the Bitcoin core developers. But there are even other projects where it's like. I could take Dash and just go use that brand somewhere. I could myself become a Dash evangelist, right? If they completely just sort of control it, then that's a point of centralization, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't think people are thinking about that at that level right now. They're just like, oh, well, there's a team and they're great. But I'm thinking about playing this forward. How do you maximize your, your network effect? To me, the most important aspect of crypto is your network effect. And that's basically your community and how you grow that size and how you get people involved. Well, if you have people that are just sort of have their arms around everything about branding, around communication, and it's not even done effectively, that centralization is going to be very difficult. But you need to enable your community to evangelize for you. But we're talking about time. We're talking about the size of the projects. Now we have the new person, the mom and pop coming into the space. They're looking at the team. They're looking at the team composition because they listen to this episode and they hear you go, the more, the better uh, community outreach yeah. people, whatever. But this is a new project. Maybe they just got done doing an STO. Maybe they're not yeah. even doing an STO and they're just, you know, just putting their nose down to the grindstone and, and, and doing it. But it's only a handful right. of people. It's your, it's your, it's your boys in a garage yeah. coding away, yeah. doing the thing. Yeah. When do you make that decision from an investor's point of view or somebody that wants to support a project to say you're not ready or they are ready to get that support? Yeah. So the way I look at it is I I think one, if they they don't have a website with their team on there, I don't know that you should be looking at them that much. Right. So any any decent project will have a decent website. You can see their team. Ideally, you can link to their uh, LinkedIn profiles. And more importantly, and it may take you a little bit of time. Get into those Telegram chats. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. 
That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recording. Recordings, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get into the Discord, look at their Twitter, see who's tweeting. A lot of times the team members will have their own Twitter profiles and you can see, or even on LinkedIn, and you can see how they're engaged with their project. That gives you a sense. And then ask questions, right? And it's not necessarily that the team will answer the question for you. And actually, I think it's better when someone from the community answers the question for you. Mm -hmm. That's not to say it's going to be the most accurate, but what that tells you that someone's sitting and watching and knows enough about the project, they're like, I want to help this person learn more about this. Now, they could be bag holding. Nonetheless, they care, right? They care enough to engage with you. So I think there's that due diligence of if I'm going to put my money into this, and more importantly, I, I think I say time before money. If I'm going to put my time into this to review it, then I need to have some time to go into these different channels of engagement 
with these project team members, with the community manager and, and, um, and ask the right questions. And I found, and I don't go in asking technical questions. I found that people are willing to, to answer those questions for you. Right. And it, and that's a good sign if you have that multifaceted team that can help you get that information. And this is also a good segue into community. We have community size, yeah. community engagement, coin distribution, and coin availability. Uh, when we're going to community size and community engagement, we've touched on that quite a bit. One thing that yeah. I think is very interesting is coin distribution and coin availability because those, yeah. there's a lot of barrier to entries to get distribution and availability in the market on exchanges and what have you. So Right. So this is where you really get into the nuance for a lot of projects and you have to look at, so for, for people out there that don't know what a, for instance, like a blockchain explorer is, for any wallet or any address on any cryptocurrency network, you should be able to see how many coins are in that network. And what you really wanna do for coin distribution is you want to understand what percentage of the coins are locked up in say the the top 5%, top 10%, top 25%. So like on my site, that's some of the things that I'm tracking. But what that basically tells you is if you have, say, 50% of the coins locked up in five addresses, that's a risk for a variety of reasons, right? One, more than likely, one person is behind that wallet address. Even if it's multi-sig to where multiple people need to get to it, that means that that group of people have that much power over that currency, right? So you want a very broad distribution of that coin, especially the better the distribution and the later it is for that coin as far as from an existence perspective, the better. Now, what I can tell you is if you look at, for instance, Smart Cash, they will have a lot of coins in a couple wallets, but then they'll, they'll say that that's our treasury essentially, mm -hmm. right? So then they have a governance process where people can make proposals and vote on things like that. So that also can help you understand, all right, well, that's not as bad. But if it's just like you go to some coin distribution and there's like 10 addresses and they own like 50, 60% of the coins, that's a point of centralization. That means that that is an attack vector that's sitting out there and someone has access to that wallet. It's not distributed enough. You talk about 51% attacks, you talk about just forking, whether it's proof of stake or proof of work. All these things are just inherent risks when you have that much. Or if you're talking about coin. dilution of, of the coin's value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times people worry about like attacks of coins from like 51% attack or whatever and they're thinking about it like, oh, you wanna ruin the value of this coin. I think if I were going to do it, I think like, all right, why would I do this? If I have a successful attack on a coin, however I do it, and it costs me some money, I'm sort of hurting my own value mm -hmm. in that coin, right? It's like I'm spending money or I'm acquiring enough collateral to hurt the value. And then it's like, why are you doing this? Other than just to be an ass, which is possible. But I look at it as a macro play. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I might want to just tank like three or four coins because they're a competitor to this coin. Right. And that becomes very difficult when you have a coin that's on multiple exchanges. So early on during like the bull run, a lot of people are all just like they want when's a new exchange listing because they're looking for a price pump. But I always saw a new exchange listing as another way to decentralize the coin distribution. Mm -hmm. Not that you're necessarily going to. I'm not saying you should keep your coins on an exchange, but from a trader's perspective, 
it would be very difficult for anyone to buy all the Bitcoin or all anyone to buy all the Ethereum because it's on like, I don't know, like 60, 70 exchanges. But if there's a coin that's on like, I don't know, right, two or IDEX. three, <laughs> right. yeah, like it's going to be very easy, even if you slowly do it, to accumulate enough to be dangerous. Right. So that coin availability, you want that to be very distributed. Now, as far as community size and community engagement, that is sort of what, like you said, we already touched on. But I look at it as you want the community to be diverse and large enough that you don't have just one person that can just stare it in any sort of uh, one direction. And it doesn't have to be someone on the team. It could just be someone that sort of shills it or just a number of followers and sort of what their group think is. Right. So I always like to use Bitcoin because that's sort of the easy examples that everyone can identify with. But this happens in other coins. But if you look at like Bitcoin Cash, first of all, if you just look at Bitcoin from August of last year, it was like Roger Veer, um, CSW and Jihan and then like everyone else. Right. And then they weren't even necessarily on the project. They were just like part of the community that just had these voices. Mm -hmm. So they could kind of steer other people into this direction. And then you look at the whole Bitcoin SV and Bitcoin ABC thing. And then you had, I think, I don't remember who was on whose side, but I think Roger and Jihan were on one side and right. Craig and some other people were uh, that Calvin guy were on one side. And so they're just like, they're just yelling and, and you know, they're doing their, their food fight governance, as I call it, which mm -hmm. is essentially a hash power war. Um, <laughs> they're just, you know, just, it's, they're not even necessarily on the project, right? Because Bitcoin Cash itself is big enough that no one is really just sort of owning it, but their community voice and impact isn't diverse enough that they have the ability to steer the direction of that coin. Like these are very nuanced things, but you have to be aware of them and what people's motives are in these scenarios. What you just said goes perfectly right into governance because here on your governance capability, you have written figureheads driving strategic decisions via brute force or influence. And that sounds a, a lot like what happened with Bitcoin split with uh, Bitcoin cash, SV and, yeah. and what have you split. And you just had a lot of people with a lot of influence. Like you said, food fight governance, <laughs> yeah, brute force making decisions. Can we go into yeah. governance and can we go into the subsects of that, please? I think the first thing I want to say is that I, to me, if you don't have any sort of formal mechanism for making decisions and first of all proposing decisions or proposing options and then making decisions that's just food fight governance and that's just basically a bunch of yelling and screaming hash power throwing that you find in the cryptocurrency space right now and i think that say you do have that governance capability so governance is essentially for for the listeners out there who aren't exactly familiar with it you have the opportunity to somehow have your voice heard or vote on a network to make a proposal, to make a decision. And usually you need to have some sort of investment into that network to be able to sort of have your voice heard. And so from a governance perspective, if you only have a few people who are able to have that, if you have that governance capability and you can actually do it, but you still only have a few people that are essentially the gatekeepers. So I had a podcast with Not So Fast and one of the, and I didn't know about this, but he was talking about how 
like Dash, for instance, has these sort of oligarchs, the people who got in very early and they own a bunch of Dash masternodes. So even when people make proposals, they have to go to them because those guys can just dead a proposal just because with their masternodes. So for instance, even if you own, if you just think about voting in general, right? You don't need to own 50%. You just need to own enough to make up the difference, right? right? So that's why even in politics, you see a lot of people when they're voting, you'll have these factions, whether it's a Democrat or Republican in America, that, you know, you'll get these factions that they'll be like, oh, it, it, it may only be like eight or nine, for instance, senators, but that's like 10%. Right. <laughs> you know, right. and that's enough to sort of be like, if you don't get our votes, like you're dead in the water, right? right? So that's the sort of thing that could go on. The centralization that takes place from governance perspective is that if you have enough oligarchs within a project that have masternodes and they have enough and they get together, they can pretty much put the hammer down on anything they don't even want to see proposed. They're like, don't bother. You can propose it. We're like, we're not even going to vote on it. How, we're just going to shut it down. How easy would you know? it be for you to make a quick list for the listeners of what kind of different governance structures there are in the digital asset world. I mean, we already said master nodes. We said super representatives. We know the DAO. So some of those aren't even, I wouldn't even say governance. I think there are ways that you can implement or execute governance. I think mm -hmm. w what you could be doing is sort of skewing the line between like the consensus protocol and then actually mm -hmm. voting, like proposing and voting. Okay. Right. Okay. So those are, those are two different things. I would say that most coins don't have governance in a very formal on-chain way. Now, they may have a community where they listen to the community. And that's not bad. That's better than yelling on Twitter and just tweeting about whatever and just be like, I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. Or if you look, if you go all the way back, at least the way I hear with the whole Bitcoin Cash Bitcoin thing was they had these secret meetings in New York and, and like behind closed doors. And it was just shady and just just kind of blew up from there, right? If you want to call that governance, that's fine. But part of what we need to be able to do in cryptocurrency is to have that nuanced conversation, that documented proposal, so you can have a conversation, so you can make effective decisions, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can't do that and you don't have a, a diversification of people doing it, then that's not good. So that kind of goes into the voting engagement and node owner distribution is that for instance, if you look at actual governance participation rates, they're very low, right? So you may not even get even 10, 15% of people. So I use governance and masternodes interchangeably because a lot of times masternodes, at least for the mature projects, will have governance voting mechanisms. So if say if you have a thousand masternodes, you may only get a hundred, 200 to vote. And there's not necessarily a quorum to say we're gonna, like you could have a built-in, but most of them don't. So it's kind of like, going to care most that have the most lose. Who are those people who are on the most nodes? Right. And then there's already low turnout, right? Just like in America, right? So there's low voter turnout. So what happens? The people who control everything make all the decisions. Right. That's a point of centralization. That doesn't really help in the long run. Right. That's not what this is about, right? So how are we going to challenge that? Now, I can tell you what is going on in this space that I think will eventually sort of change and expose sort of the centralized aspects of this, because you really don't know how many nodes someone owns when it comes to voting. So that's what node owner distribution is about, is that I could own 10 nodes of Dash or whatever coin Pivx, and you won't necessarily know it unless somehow you like figure it out or break into my machine or do some sort of weird tracking or something. Now, what I do see on the more mature and newer projects that are adding governance after the fact is that they are requiring KYC. Mm -hmm. 
So when you require KYC, you know who that individual is and then it's listed. And then, not to say that you can't be behind some shell company, but what I'm saying is there is that sort of real world link paper trail to where you can say, okay, we've got 500 nodes and we've got, from a KYC perspective, we've got maybe 300 different sort of owners. So yeah, some people own more than one. Like I said, this is more sort of next level nuanced conversation from a centralization perspective. Mm -hmm. Like we've gone way down into the weeds, but this is where we're going from a cryptocurrency perspective. We are trying to get to a point where we can propose ideas, make decisions in a nuanced, cohesive way. And honestly, where I think this is really going to disrupt things is that if you compare it to your typical administration in like a enterprise or a corporate building, just the headache that goes into doing that, making decisions, this is actually, even in its current form, a lot better. Mm-hmm. I've worked in corporate America for a very long time, and one of the things I can tell you is so much time, thus money, is wasted on one, lack of decisioning and lack of direction, and then just too much talking goes into it. This sort of method, I think, is going to sort of change the behavior for these coins that are actually delivering real capabilities and value to the network and whatever they're delivering, whether it's using the coin, executing smart contracts, other more complex events and capabilities, you'll then have this community which can propose ideas like, hey, we want to expand our presence in Ghana. So we want to propose some idea where we get 200 of our coin and then we're going to basically go out there and have a community outreach and engage with that community. I see that a lot with smart cash. So I use smart cash a lot. I don't own any smart cash. But the reason I like them is because they have one of the largest and most diverse communities in crypto. Right. So they have so many different like pictures online where people are in like Brazil or in France or here or there, United States, Africa, all over the world. And they're talking about smart cash and they're engaging. They're like a community. And I'm like, wow, they have this proposal board where you can propose and people can vote on it. That's interesting. And really, if you really look at what crypto is really about, it's a decentralized way for people to establish value with each other. And what you want to be able to do with your community when you're establishing that value is do that from anywhere, right? So we're very used to centralized value establishment, right? So in the United States, we use the dollar. When I go from here to, I was in Bali in April, I land in Bali. I don't question that why they're using rupiah. I just use rupiah. The exchange rate is one to 13,600. <laughs> right. And that's what it is. I don't question it. It's a centralized value. It's, it's established. Why? Yeah, then maybe the government says it and we could have that whole conversation. But the point is that you accept that. So what's to stop someone or a community of people saying, well, it doesn't really matter where you are. We're going to establish that you can do these things with smart cash and there are going to be some vendors in Senegal and there's going to be some vendors in Venezuela and there's going to be a vendor somewhere in Sweden. And we're going to say that we're going to be able to exchange this cryptocurrency for this sort of service or product to use it. Your last entry in the governance category is business entity. Now, yeah. I'm super confused on this. Can you explain that yeah. to me? Because I don't understand. So how this is, like this is could... yeah, you know, I, I, I'm actually... This is one I, I really even hesitated to put in there. Like I said, this is like a draft, fully willing to take things out. But this is my thinking on it. We're still in the real world. And, and I didn't word it in the right way. But 
you still needed some sort of treasury. You still need to have trademarks to some extent, right? Now, I'm not saying that you still want people to be able to use it and expand your brand, expand the community and feel comfortable. But at the same time, there's got to be some way to link the community of a cryptocurrency to its sort of business value that right. it's providing, its brand. If for whatever reason you establish it, you need a bank account in a company, in a country somewhere, you might need that. Like, listen, we're growing. Crypto's early. How are you going to get any sort of traction if you can't sort of get your hooks into? So the business entity, and like I said, it's not worded well on this diagram, but really what I'm trying to do is to say that there needs to be some sort of entity that is so broad that the community or maybe the people that are engaging in the governance have some sort of, that's why it's in the governance section, have some sort of stake in, right? right? And then it's decentralized in that way. And then anyone that's bought into the network that's engaged with it from a governance perspective, maybe they have the ability to create an account in the name of it. Like I said, that legal entity, I don't know what that looks like, but we can't just say, we're just gonna do these things. You still gotta hook into the real world. And that's what the, it, it could be called something else. Trust me, I'll be the first one to say, it's probably <laughs> the one that should be removed or changed or definitely needs more discussion. No, I'm, I'm feeling you on the purpose of the business entity. I was just kind of confused of what that would mean and what that would look like to say Bitcoin. How would that even work? Uh, you, Yeah, it doesn't mean incorporate. It's not Bitcoin as a company. Mm -hmm. It's Bitcoin more as a brand that's trying to establish traction at some place in the world. And a lot of times you can't do that without some sort of business entity, and you want that business entity tied back to the community. Right. What you don't want is just something just completely necessarily wide open or one person running that. Or thing. anybody be able to run that, and which could be lead to fraudulent representation of Bitcoin. Exactly. exactly. It's a very nuanced, like that, the governance one, listen, governance itself still needs a lot of discussion and how that works mm -hmm. and, and how we do that better. And I don't think when people are saying stuff is centralized, I don't even think people are thinking about governance. But I do a lot of stuff in the master node space. So I, these are things I, I, I thought about. I put this together on a 15-hour plane ride coming back from India uh, about uh, a month ago. So um, definitely, you know, if anyone's seeing this, reach out to me. I'd love to have a discussion about it. You are definitely more productive than I am because if I'm on a 15-hour plane ride, I'm watching movies straight up, catching up on all the movies. Uh, there's only so much moving and watching you can do on a 15-hour plane ride, but I try to be productive on, on plane rides. <laughs> right on, man, right on. One of the questions I usually ask people on the show is if they are new, coming into the space, this is the first interview or podcast they listen to, what would you tell them? But I want you to tell me, what would you tell the new person about decentralization? What would you want them to know? I would want them to know that that word means nothing. And you need <laughs> it's no the seriously. It's the title of your of your diagram, man. <laughs> no, no, no. What I'm saying is, it means nothing in that it's not defined. In that there are so many ways that you can peel this onion. That there are so many aspects of this. You need to take a step back, and when you see the word decentralized, decentralization, centralized, centralization ask what they mean. And the thing I do is I ask someone to define it first. I don't assume what it is, but I say, well, what do you mean by this? Because right. 
usually they're only talking about one of these bars. One of those, yes, exactly. And there's probably other ones on here that they're I'm basically not, just I talking about the nose most of the time. Yeah, yeah, they're just talking about the nose. But there's so many different aspects that matter today. I think governance is something that probably is going to matter tomorrow. Matter today is team composition, network operation, and even community to some extent. But definitely um, start asking these questions. And then the other thing I would say, ask that individual why they think it matters other Mm. than just they hurt someone else yelling about it. (laughs) Boom. I love that answer. I love that answer. Before I ask the last question of this episode, I want to say, Alan, thank you very much for one, doing some amazing work in the space. You were recommended to me by a blogger of Crypto 101, Scott, and he was like, man, you got to check this guy out. So I've been following you quite a bit on Twitter and following what you've been doing. So thank you for your contribution to the space. And thank you for coming on the show and talking about decentralization 101. Thank you. I had a great time. And I'd love to come back any other time to talk about this with other people or anything else crypto related. Awesome, dude. Last question of the day is what three songs would you like on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist, sir? Oh, really? Wow. Well, it's got to be a song by like... We just random the hell out of that one, didn't we? Just just random. So I'll go... (laughs) It's got to be a song from Janae Aiko on there. When We Were Young. That's one of my favorites. All right. Um, The Weeknd. What is it? Feel It Coming or... All right. And Trauma. By Meek Mill. All right. I like that. Sounds that's, good, that's brother. That's a good album. Oh, I'm going to throw so. those on there. <laughs> Alan Henna, crypto advocate, entrepreneur, and a huge contribution to the space. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Alan, if you're listening, it was very nice to finally meet you. And thank you for coming on the show to give us a 101 on decentralization. If you want to know more about the origin story of this conversation, head over to YouTube, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, and I will put up a video probably around three days after this releases. I'm a little backed up on videos, to be perfectly honest. I'm moving to San Diego. So the next video you'll see is either from my hotel room or it might be from when I land in San Diego here in a couple of days. I'm just packing up my stuff, giving a lot of my stuff away, and going over to the US for a new start dedicated to Crypto 101 and blockchain education. In our next episode, we have one of our favorite segments, chatting with the listeners. And we have on four listeners of Crypto 101 to talk about their 2019 crypto goals, talk about their ideas of the crypto space, decentralization, censorship, use cases, mainstream adoption, and so much more. It's a great conversation with some great listeners. Thank you very much for coming on the show. And after that episode, we have on Brave New Coin. I'm excited for that one as well. Like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E, Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices. And I want to say thank you very much to Mr. Jay LaBelle for editing this episode. We'll see you in future episodes of Crypto 101. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.